Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is October the 11th, 2019. Uh, fall is about to uh, make its presence known here in the Big Apple. Certainly, we've seen snow and all kinds of crazy weather out west. Um, the time marches on and the madness coming from the people that we have, have elected to represent us uh, seems to show no limits at all. I thank you for joining me. Those of you familiar with me know that I'm a retired senior special agent of the former INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, and that since the terror attacks of September 11, 2001, gosh, hard to believe, uh, almost two decades ago, I've been a man on a mission trying to wake up as many of our fellow Americans and our alleged political leaders about the true nature and the, and the true significance of border security and immigration law enforcement. Um, And in point of fact, most of the people on television who talk about the issue in the mainstream media have no idea what they're talking about, but that seems to never stop anybody with the big mouths and uh, the big egos. Uh, Immigration is a fundamental issue that impacts nearly every challenge and threat that America and Americans face. And the same immigration system that uh, tells us who we're supposed to keep out also is the most generous system in the world that permits the admission of more than a million lawful immigrants every year, more than the rest of the world combined. That very same system also allows hundreds of thousands of foreign nationals to receive United States citizenship through a system that frankly lacks integrity because we have naturalized terrorists frequently terrorists who within a year of getting U.S. citizenship have attacked us or attempted to attack us. Clearly, the vetting process doesn't work. The system is overwhelmed. It's Lucy at the bonbon factory on steroids. And what the mainstream media has done and the globalists have done and the politicians have done is to convince millions upon millions of Americans that anybody who suggests, dare suggest, that we secure the borders and enforce our immigration laws is a xenophobe, a racist, a bigot, a hater, the list goes on. Um, I spent 30 years with the former INS. I was an inspector. I was an adjudications officer for a year doing the marriage interviews. I spent 26 years as a special agent. I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch. I also became the first INS agent in New York to be assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. I spent the final 10 years of my career as a senior special agent of the INS, but assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. And what my uh, wide-ranging career taught me is just how significant immigration enforcement and border security are to national security, public health, public safety, the jobs and wages of Americans. Our immigration laws have absolutely nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. Uh, You know, I'm of the Jewish faith. In fact, uh, we just uh, finished um, observing Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Jewish New Year, preceded Rosh Hashanah. Those of you who are Jewish, I I hope that you uh, have a happy, healthy, peaceful uh, New Year. I wish that to all of you, no matter how you measure the year. Those are universal desires, that we live in peace, that we live with good health, that our families are well cared for. These are universal needs, universal desires. We can't solve the world's problems by importing all of the world's people to the United States. The United States is not unlike a lifeboat. And if you put too many people in a lifeboat, the lifeboat capsizes, the boat sinks, and everyone is lost. When we're on airplanes, we are told that if the oxygen masks come down, put 
yours on first before you try to help someone else, because if you lose consciousness, you're going to be another casualty, another problem, not someone helping to create the solution. I love that people want to come to America. My own mother came to America when she was 13 years old, not long before the Holocaust ripped the world apart and killed so many people, and not just Jews. We always talk about the 6 million Jews, over 13 million people were, were slaughtered, were killed. There was major upheaval, all because of hatred. If I had the sense that the immigration laws that we enforced had anything to do with racism, bigotry, hatred, I couldn't have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. I was named for my grandmother who was killed in Poland because of our religion. This is not what the immigration laws are about. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, that lays out the grounds for excluding aliens from the United States. The same way that you would tell the child, listen, I'm going shopping for an hour. Don't let anybody in unless, and you give them a, a list of you know, who you can let in. You can let in grandma, grandpa, you can let in this one and that. But, you know, don't let in strangers if you don't know who they are and so forth. Well, that's what the immigration laws are about. And if you go to that section of law, it's about keeping out aliens who, number one, have dangerous communicable diseases or are seriously mentally ill. Please remember Ellis Island was a quarantine station. It was, in point of fact, the most uh, complex set of buildings, the hospital buildings that existed in the United States at the time of its completion. It was about keeping out aliens who, number one, had dangerous diseases because they feared epidemics. We didn't have antibiotics then. And by the way, with the superbugs that are developing, uh, our antibiotics may not be doing us too much good much longer either. We've got to be mindful. It's about people with mental illness as well. And by the way, there was another component at Ellis Island about the health of the arriving uh, would-be immigrants, that they be strong enough to be able to work to support themselves. Back then, most people who worked at manual labor, physical labor. So when you walk into the Grand Hall of Ellis Island, if you know this or not, I don't know, but I've written about it and there's documentaries about it. You should really watch it. That was a cardio test because officials were positioned strategically on the staircase, doctors, inspectors, nurses, public health officials, immigration. Why? Because if people couldn't climb the stairs, they couldn't do a day's work. If they couldn't do a day's work, they wouldn't be able to support themselves. They were sent back to their countries. Their families were split up. This isn't a new concept. You would think it is because of all the lies and mistruths and propaganda being spewed by the mainstream media, both sides of the aisle, by the way. It was the Republicans before the Democrats who wanted to flood America with an unlimited supply of cheap labor to placate the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. John Boehner is a Chamber of Commerce guy. Paul Ryan was a Chamber of Commerce guy. The Chamber of Commerce never met an illegal alien they didn't like because this meant driving down wages, displacing American workers, and finding customers for the crap being peddled by how many companies in the United States. The Democrats used to stand behind the enforcement of the immigration laws to protect jobs and wages for Americans. No more. They've lost their minds. They've lost their moral compass. I'm a registered Democrat. People say, why are you a registered Democrat? How could you be a Democrat? Look at immigration. Well, if you go back 20 years ago, the idea of taking down our borders was an anathema to the Democrats and welcomed by the Republicans. And then 9-11 happened, and people said, well— Maybe there's a national security issue here. That reminds me of what happened when the immigration laws went from the Labor Department to the Justice Department at the beginning of the Second World War. The Labor Department used to be responsible for the enforcement of the immigration laws out of the concern of getting Americans working and protecting the wages. Remember, prior to the Second World War, the United States had been plunged into the depths of the Great Depression. President Roosevelt wanted to get Americans working. He certainly didn't want more foreign workers coming to America to compete with Americans. And, in fact, it wasn't the unions but the government that mandated a 40-hour work week. The idea is if you need someone to work more than 40 hours, hire another worker. Get everybody working. Get everybody back into the economy. That was the whole idea. So when I hear the nonsense, it tells me that people don't do their homework. It is so easy to deceive people. You know, the the phrase sheeple. 
there's a movie I'm going to tell you that you got to watch, and it was just on this afternoon on cable, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, uh, with Michael Douglas, the sequel to Wall Street. 30 minutes, almost exactly 30 minutes into the movie, you see Michael Douglas delivering a speech at a university. He got out of jail, if you know the plot line. He was a corrupt Wall Street character. Like, that doesn't exist, right? Wink, wink. And he said, you know, previously I said greed is good. Now it seems as though it's legal. And he goes into this whole big thing about how banks and companies are moving money around and ripping off the average consumer. You know, I personally love the statement that was made by Bob Hope when he said bankers are nobody's friends. They'll only lend you money when you can prove you didn't need it in the first place. You know, I, I love when banks offer you products, and my usual retort to that is that I didn't know the three-card Monty was a product. I grew up believing that a product required metal, wood, plastic, screws, something you could hold in your hand besides a couple of pieces of paper. You need an assembly line to produce a product, not a con scam, a con game. But, you know, money, as my dad taught me, is at the root of all evil, you know? It's all about the money. It's all about the power. Um, we have people that are in a feeding frenzy like a malignant tumor. Cancer can't get enough nutrients. It secretes hormones so the body envelops the tumor with blood vessels so it can bathe in the nutrients. And for a while, that cancerous tissue becomes the most successful organ, in a manner of speaking, in its victim's body. That is right up until the day the victim dies because the cancer has starved off all the other healthy tissue and the victim passes away, and the tumor dies with its victim. You know, it's a murder-suicide, if you will. Well, we have people in the world, and we know this, who have insatiable appetites for wealth. The average person is happy to have a roof over his or her head, a refrigerator with food in it, a couple of nice pieces of clothing in the closet, a couple of nice suits or dresses or whatever, a car in the driveway with a tank of gas, and all's right with the world. Hopefully, you know, a two-week vacation or, or maybe be able to pay for the education for our children. That's what the average person wants. But there are people out there that if they have eight mansions, more than anything, need a ninth mansion. And if they have the 737, more than anything else, they need a 777, whatever. Bigger airplanes, bigger boats, more houses, more, more, more but they're killing the goose that laid the golden egg. The American dream was based on an upwardly mobile, vibrant middle class. We've killed the middle class. And in so doing, we're doing harm to the wealthy also. By the way, they're just too damn greedy to see it. Most companies depend on the middle class for their consumer base. And I don't care what the product or service is that they offer. The more that people have money, the more they're likely to spend the money to buy whatever it is that they're peddling. Destroy the middle class, you destroy that goose that laid the golden egg, but they are so intent on driving down the cost of labor, they've lost their collective minds and they've lost their moral rudder. So we have this ongoing desire, flood America with cheap labor. Let's destroy the wage structure. You know, it's remarkable the Democrats say we need a $15 an hour minimum wage. I'm all in favor of it. My conservative friends may disagree. And they are my friends, and, and, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. We should be able to be friends with people whether we agree with them on politics or not. If you're a constitutionalist, you should be thrilled that you have friends who disagree with you. You should celebrate that they disagree with you. Freedom of speech means freedom to disagree, damn it. We've lost our minds. But I know so many conservatives say, oh, Minimum wage, free market, and all this other happy nonsense. Corporations are greedy and stupid, and they lack morality. That's why you had exploding Ford Pintos, and the Love Canal got polluted, and the list goes on. And how many executives have gone to jail for tampering with emission standards? The list is endless. So I support a $15 an hour minimum wage, but the remarkable thing is that the meatpacking industry, 30 years ago, was paying almost 18 to $20 an hour to their workers. Today, in that industry, those people doing dangerous, filthy, back-breaking work are making about 11 bucks an hour. Why? Because that industry was flooded with illegal aliens. So now the Democrats that want open borders come along and say, oh, we'd like to give you 15 an hour. If it wasn't for open borders, those folks would be making $30 an hour today, maybe more. 
people don't realize how much purchasing power we've lost, and that leads to more homelessness. America is certainly not the country with the greatest upward mobility any longer. Economically, we're not. We've developed a caste system, and it's been motivated and supported and sustained by open borders and an unlimited supply of foreign workers. We admit more foreign workers every year than the number of new jobs we're creating. And you see the poverty in in neighborhoods, especially in, in the minority neighborhoods. You have kids who can't make an honest dollar. They wind up committing crime because they have no other way of getting their hands on money. They want to go to the movies or they want to take this pretty girl out for pizza. Just like everybody else, we all did it. But if you don't have a place to get a real job, what do you do to get your hands on money? So you have a cycle of violence and unemployment and crime and short life expectancies, and drug abuse, and the list goes on. It's a downward death spiral. But immigration plays a role, and the drugs are pouring across the border. The drug cartels send their people to America. I saw it up close. Don't listen to the garbage you're hearing from people that are clueless about what goes on in the street. For nearly half of my 30-year career, I was involved in investigating terrorists and drug traffickers. Very often there was a nexus. Human smugglers are drug smugglers. You want to go after the smugglers? Stop sanctuary cities. The way you build a case against smugglers is to arrest aliens who came in illegally, and they will roll over and give you information about the the SOBs that brought them here. And we can work with those aliens and even give them green cards if they help us to take down major trafficking organizations. When I was up at DEA, and I had desks at DEA, the FBI, ATF, I worked with foreign governments, my friends in those other agencies, especially the FBI, said, you know, your authority as an immigration agent is amazing for cultivating informants. But you don't hear this from the mayors of sanctuary cities. We have to shield the immigrants from, illegal, from, from the immigration authorities. First of all, illegal aliens aren't immigrants. They're illegal aliens, and that's why they want to obfuscate the language. And that's what I wrote about for Front Page Magazine, how New York City has now made it a crime to use the term illegal alien. I kid you not. This flies in the face of the First Amendment. It flies in the face of common sense. It's right out of the pages of George Orwell and the Ministry of Truth. If you utter the word illegal alien and and it's decided you did it out of hate, you could be hit with a quarter of a million dollar fine. Not a joke. Not Saturday Night Live. This isn't the onion. This is the reality of crazy New York City with an imbecile that we have for a mayor, Mayor Dumb Blasio, who could care less about the people who live here. Case after case of sanctuary cities cutting people loose, dangerous criminals, and they wind up killing innocent victims. ICE just ran a report about a guy that was released and went right from jail. They wouldn't let ICE know. He went right to a woman's house and raped her. What are we doing? We've got to make clear distinctions between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens, and we've got to deal with facts, not with the lies that are being made up as they go along by the open borders anarchists, irrespective of their political orientation. Aliens who cooperate, who are here illegally, can be granted visas. They could bring their families here. And my friends at the FBI said, you know, we have unlimited money for informants. I mean, the FBI, DEA, there are people... 20 years ago, that were making more money than the agents were, and they were informants. They were delivering information, and they were being paid for the information. They were living well. If you come up with something, you could even get a piece of the seizure. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of money. But they said, you know, there's a more effective persuader to get people to come forward. I said, yeah, what's that? And they said, what you can do in those immigrant communities with the illegal aliens to convince those folks to provide information so they can get lawful status and bring their families here. And it's true. Are you hearing that in the mainstream media? No. What you're hearing is the immigration agents are SOBs, and they love locking people up. And I, and I want you to know, and I, and I will tell you I'm not alone in this. Most, I would say 90%, 95% of my colleagues would say the same thing. Maybe we all would say the same thing. We never saw illegal aliens as our enemy. Yes, if we found out you were a criminal, that was a whole other story. If you committed criminal violations, we prosecuted you. Most of these people are desperate. Desperate people take desperate measures. Do you know how many people die in the desert trying to come illegally to the United States? How many bodies are found out there? 
Do you know how many times it's children whose bodies we find out there? And why is this happening? Why are people leaving countries like Mexico? Mexico has the 15th largest, I believe, last time I checked, 15th largest economy in the world. 15th largest. That's a lot of economy. So why the poverty? And I will tell you that when I went to Border Patrol Academy in Texas one weekend, we had a long weekend. We drove, we flew into Mexico City. And, and we rented, uh, you know, hotel rooms, rented cars. And then one day I drove above what's known as Los Pirámides, the pyramids. We went there at night, one of the most spectacular uh, things I've ever seen. And they do a light show where you see the pyramids of Mexico that the Aztecs uh, constructed. I believe it was the Aztecs who constructed or the Mayans. It, it, was, it, was, it was staggering, mind-boggling, mind-boggling. To me, no less a miracle than the great pyramids that you would find in Egypt. And this whole complex is there, and you're under the stars, and it's freezing. And for a couple of cents, there are Mexican women who will rent you a blanket. And they live in such poverty that back then, a nickel, a dime, my God, it was like someone handing you a $100 bill. So they, they would rent blankets to stay warm because as soon as the sun goes down, because we were up at about maybe 13,000 feet, you know, if you, if you did any walking, you'd get out, you'd be out of breath pretty quickly. And so I drove in the mountains above the pyramids, and these people are living in stone age conditions. They live in holes carved out of mountainsides, no front door. They hang blankets on the front of that entranceway, to, to provide themselves with, with, with privacy, I guess. I mean, imagine living that way, no running water in this day and age. Why? Because Mexico has an oligarchy. The very wealthy are extremely wealthy. Let's remember that Carlos Slim was at one point the wealthiest man in the world. He was born in Mexico, educated in Mexico, wealthiest man in the world, a Mexican. Who would think? Why? Because there's an oligarchy. You're either very, 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 extremely very wealthy, or you are dirt-starving poor. And i got to tell you, I don't always agree with Donald Trump. You know, this isn't about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's ego makes it about Donald Trump. Presidents come and presidents go. I remember when President Kennedy was assassinated. It was horrible. I cried. I remember I was on the debating team back then. They canceled the debate. They canceled the basketball game that night. It was a Friday and I walked out into the street, and people were standing in the middle of the street. They got out of their cars. They looked stupefied. They were in shock. We were all in shock collectively as a country. Those of you old enough to remember will know what I'm telling you is, is accurate. And I remember that that Saturday, it rained. It rained, which really fit the mood. And I went to my orthodontist, and I was sitting in the waiting area, and he had a television in his waiting room. And I was there with my dad. I was a youngster at the time. I was a teenager. And my dad and I watched as they wheeled Kennedy's um, rocking chair and New England uh, furniture out of the Oval Office, and they wheeled in LBJ stuff. And I remember this big uh, model of the Gemini spacecraft, which was the latest spacecraft at the time. And it was covered in clear plastic, and the workers were wheeling that out and bringing in the credenza, different furniture, LBJ, right? And my father said to me, the king is gone, long live the king. He said, never forget that the only people who are really going to suffer permanently by this tragedy, by this insanity, the assassination of our president, are his family members and his close friends. He said, at the end of the day, that's what matters. Your family, your close friends, take care of each other. You have to love each other. He said, life is fleeting. Life is temporary. I lost my dad to lung cancer and in part because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. He loved America. My mom loved America because she knew had she not been able to get here, she would have died. Many of her family members were killed during the Holocaust. And I feel sympathy for people who want to come here. But again, if I go back to that lifeboat situation, and now we have to worry about not being able to properly screen people, so we're letting in people who want to kill us. This is insanity. Families take care of their children first. You don't give money to charity if you can't feed your own kids. But I'll never forget the point that my dad made about presidents. You know, they come and they go. This isn't about Donald Trump. We're in a battle for survival. That's the issue. 
But I will tell you that Donald Trump is the first president that I'm aware of that is forcing Mexico to pay more money to their own citizens to disincentivize illegal immigration. But the media doesn't want you to hear that. They don't want you to know that. Why should the United States be a safety valve for the rest of the world? When you do that, you overwhelm our own systems. You drive down our wages. You create a situation in the schools where we can't provide the proper education for our kids. My youngest son, and I've mentioned this before, has a form of autism. But because of early intervention, he is now a successful mechanical engineer. He graduated with an engineering degree, with honors, no less. On a fellowship, no less. My oldest son's also an engineer. That was my original dream, to be an engineer. People who actually do something with their hands, you know. I, I, I just love the idea. My dad was a construction worker. So the idea that early intervention can work with children with autism. My, my son is, 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 boy, oh, boy, living proof. We thank God every day for him. But today we're cutting the funding as a country for early intervention and spending more money on English as a second language. Where is the compassion for American children who are suffering from situations that perhaps we could help them with to brighten their future without early intervention? I don't want to imagine where my son would be. I don't even want to think about it. I kind of try to push that out of my mind. But I can tell you that a decade ago, I had no idea that we would be this fortunate, this blessed. We need to prioritize taking care of American kids. Nobody seems to care that a half million American children, as you're listening to this program, are in foster care. You'll see the occasional story about the alien. Oh, they took the child away from the parents. Well, the parents came here illegally. I know they were desperate, but they endangered the welfare and safety of the child. What in the world are we supposed to do? Throw down our borders and say, here you go? Is the solution to homelessness in your neighborhood to leave your doors wide open to your house and let people wander in at will and, 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 and grab lunch out of your refrigerator? You have finite resources. America has finite resources. That's just the harsh reality of the world. The better solution is to elevate everyone's standard of living by making countries accountable, by ending these oligarchies that exist in places like Mexico. Mexico is not a poor country. It's a super wealthy country. Only its, its citizens are poor because of corruption. And that's increasingly what's happening in the United States. And what has happened is a campaign that is concerted on both sides, whether it was the Koch brothers, now there's only one, the Koch brother, or George Soros. They're both on the same page. You know, you hear all the lies, all the nonsense. The Democrats and Republicans will never work together. Oh, immigration, forget it. Well, the House and Senate passed the bill. It sailed through, no hearings, no discussion, no media coverage, no amendments to make it easier for more H-1B visa holders to come to America from India and displace American workers. Wow. Student loans account for the second greatest um, level of personal indebtedness in America next to mortgages. We have kids that are overwhelmed by student debt, student loan debt. So you have kids going to school, getting their degrees, and finding they can't get their jobs in their chosen field, even though they've gotten the education they need because the companies want to hire foreign workers to drive down the wages. Silicon Valley, oh, my goodness gracious, they've been leading the charge. This forward.us started by Zuckerberg. You know, I call it backward.us. Why in the world wouldn't you want to put Americans to work in the high-tech industries so they can be successful and, and raise their families and achieve the American dream. Apparently, the American dream no longer applies to Americans. We're undermining the future of our children, and we're being attacked um, verbally, with Antifa physically. There's violence on both sides of the extreme. Extremists worry me, and they should worry everybody. The KKK, um, you know, the skinheads, and Antifa, opposite sides, both violent and both want to shut down debate. But with Antifa, when you look at what's happening on the campuses, this comes right out of what we saw before the Holocaust with the brown shirts, shut, the, shut down discussion, burn the books, ban any free speech. 
colleges are supposed to be the places where you explore new ideas and celebrate freedom of speech and freedom of ideas. Alan Dershowitz is brilliant. Then he said something wonderful. He said, when you go on a college campus, of course, you should be physically safe. But your ideas should not be safe from challenge. You should have to defend your, your, your thoughts and your, and your um, theories academically on university campuses. He said there should be no safe space for ideas. Every idea should be open to challenge, which I think is brilliant. If you're a constitutionalist, that's the way it should be. I've seen too many people say, oh, we're not talking to them. They are on the other side. Other side of what? The First Amendment? If you can't support your position on a controversial or any issue for that matter, if you can't debate it and be successful, maybe you ought to reconsider your ideas and why you have them. That's the whole idea to being educated. I'm always challenging my ideas. I'm always looking at things from every possible perspective. Every day I try to learn new things. And as you gain knowledge, you gain a different perspective and a different understanding. Before Edwin Hubble came along, I was an astronomy nut going back to third grade. Before Hubble realized that the universe was expanding by the work he did at Mount Wilton at the observatory, everyone thought, that there was one galaxy, one universe, you know. Copernicus came along and said, you know, the Earth isn't the center of the universe. That was earth-shaking. Galileo looked through the telescope that he built. That was earth-shaking. You come up with new information based on technology and, and procedures and so forth, and it challenges how you see things. We should never be so rock-solid set in the way we see the world that we say, I don't want to hear what the other guy has to say. You don't know your position, folks, until you have to defend it in a debate. Had I not become a federal agent, you know, my degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I jokingly call it my BA and BS. But in reality, we've done a lousy job of educating our children. I don't believe anybody should be able to get a degree or, or a high school diploma without spending at least one full year as an active participant on a debating team. Learn to think on your feet. Learn how to ask the right questions. The biggest return we get from the space program, believe it or not, is the next set of questions. Voltaire wisely observed, you judge a man's intelligence. Of course, today we would say you judge a person's intelligence by the questions that they ask. The whole idea of Socrates was to ask the questions, always ask the questions, dig for the answers to the questions. And as you answer those questions, as you learn more those questions and those facts will give rise to the next set of questions. The space program, a prime example. You see? Ask the questions. But today, if you dare challenge anybody about anything, you're going to be attacked. I promise you, you're going to be attacked. The mainstream media isn't doing anything in furtherance of intellectual achievement. It's about controlling the masses. And you look at Google and Amazon and China and, and, and what's going on in Hong Kong, do you know that they have shut down, Google and Amazon have shut down their applications that were enabling the protesters to keep track of the police? Oh, you can't do that. And now you've got the controversy with the basketball teams. Oh, we have to do what China wants. And it turns out that Tiffany and all these other megabuck companies are nothing more than whores. They're prostitutes. They don't care about freedom. China is a totalitarian state. You know, when the wall came down, the Berlin Wall came down, you had these self-congratulatory idiots jumping up and down. Oh, we've ended communism. Yay, the Wicked Witch is dead. The Wicked Witch is dead. Cuba is a communist country. It lies 90 miles off our shore. China is the most populous country on the planet. It's a communist state. What do you mean you ended communism? You self-congratulatory buffoons. The idea that a country is going to impose its will on its people is an anathema of what America stands for. Yes, we have to help our citizens. Yes, there are forms of socialism that are inevitable. 
jobs are going away. Artificial intelligence and robotics are going to diminish the jobs. Maybe new jobs will be created, but if you watch on television, and I love it, how it's made, and you'll see how some cars are assembled. There was this amazing story about the Jaguar facilities, and I'm a car guy. When I was a kid, I had an XKU Roadster. I love that car. I had a bunch of sports cars. But if you look at the way the cars used to be made, it was labor-intensive. Burly guys in grease-spattered coveralls would move the car from one workstation to the next, to the next, to the next, and they would bolt on the parts until finally the car rolled off the assembly line. The factory where the Jaguars are made now employs, I, I believe they either said 57 or, or 87 workers, excuse me, and they're cranking out thousands of cars. A handful of human beings, mostly the work done by robots. And I guarantee you that every year more robots will come in as they get more sophisticated and replace more of those workers. Eventually, you'll probably have five people running that factory. God only knows. So work is going to become almost a luxury when you come down to that. And work defines who we are. If I ask you, who are you? You might say a man, a woman. Uh, I don't know. There's, today we seem to have some variations on those themes also. Um, and then you might talk about, I'm a father, a mother, I'm a sister, brother, whatever. And then you're going to talk about your work. Or some people might even start out saying, yeah, I'm a doctor, I'm a policeman, I'm a federal agent, I'm a school teacher. Work gives us a strong sense of our identity and with it our worth. When you take jobs away from Americans and you say this is compassionate, why in the world should people feel an allegiance to a country when the country isn't standing up for them. We have armed forces that go in harm's way primarily to protect American lives. Yes, we have become the police force for the world. I think Donald Trump is right for being concerned about how much can we police the whole world. You know, everyone wants to criticize America, but when there's a problem, they think we're their 911 that they call, and they do. And we should feel proud about it, but it's also costing American lives. So the, the point of the matter is that a country should be matching the loyalty that its citizens show for the country by being loyal to its own citizens, caring for its own children, making certain that children with learning disabilities get the special ed that they need, get the early intervention that they need to provide them with every opportunity to be successful. Well, you can't do that if you keep flooding the country with people who can't speak, read, or write English. The Congressional Budget Office did a study back in 2006, and they said, you know what? It costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate kids who can't speak, read, or write English. There was a study done recently that said that one in five families in America, one in five families in America don't speak English. And we're told there's 11 million illegals in the country. If you believe that story, I've got a bridge to sell you. And then you have the Senate voting just a couple of weeks ago to end the emergency on the border. I kid you not. Apparently, ISIS, al-Qaeda, and the drug cartels never got the memo. The Senate is controlled by the Republicans. So when people come to me, they say, how could you support any Democrat? By the way, I haven't voted for a Democrat in years. The Democrats are no longer Democrats. They've morphed into something ugly and disgusting. I certainly don't recognize them for being Democrats. And I find it remarkable that there's a troika in the House led by Nancy Pelosi and Nadler and Schiff to say, oh, we've got impeachable offenses. You know, Hannity did something interesting. If you don't watch Hannity, I suggest you, you go online and look it up. How quickly after the president was elected, everyone was calling for his impeachment on the left. Within hours after the election, well, he committed an impeachable offense. Could he be impeached for this? Do you think she should be impeached? Should they be looking into an impeachment? I've never seen that with any other election, with any other president. And, and you have to wonder if perhaps the idea that Donald Trump is an outsider has caused it. Yes, he's a tough character. Uh, my dad was a construction worker. Donald Trump grew up with, with construction trade. You know, he was the boss. My dad was, was a card-carrying union guy. He was a plumber, worked on construction, not repair work. He worked on the World's Fair. He worked in Kennedy Airport. I used to go with him to work because I was fascinated with airplanes. I did a little single-engine flying as a kid. So to be able to go to the airport when I was 15 years old and watch my dad work on the TWA hangar. I was uh, sad when they took the hangar down because they rebuilt Kennedy Airport. I used to love to drive in there 
and look at that hangar, and it brought back wonderful memories of my dad up there on that scaffolding putting in the pipes. You know, um, but, but the whole idea is that construction workers are a rough bunch. They don't speak in shades of gray. It's black and white. If my dad asked me a question, if my answer needed more than four words, he'd look over the top of his glasses. He'd say, Mike, I asked you a damn question. I, didn't, I was looking for an answer, not a story. And he wasn't kidding. I mean, you know, I, I, I miss him terribly. I have the best parents in the world. I stand on their shoulders every day when I wake up, and they've been gone for over a half century. I hope I'm one-tenth the parents of my children they were to me. But the point is that unless you understand the mindset of people in the construction industries, the building was either built or it wasn't built. The job came in or it was done or it wasn't done. You either finished or you didn't. You know, it's black and white. So Donald Trump could be rough around the edges. I'm not excusing him. I mean, there are times when his lousy use of language, and again, I took my degree in communications, appalls me, shocks me, stuns me, disappoints me. But we've had no president, perhaps since Eisenhower, maybe JFK, who understands the significance of sovereign borders. You can't defend a country with open borders. And by the way, for the record, the border wall wouldn't stop anybody from entering the United States. I'll repeat it again. The border wall is not designed to stop anybody from entering the United States. Have I woken you up? Are you listening? Both ears? The border wall is simply designed to make certain that all who enter the United States first go through the screening process conducted at ports of entry. A record is created of entry. We make sure that the person isn't a criminal, isn't a fugitive, isn't a terrorist, isn't going to take the job of an American. That's what that's about. Same thing with cargo, so that we don't wind up with weapons. Iran is on the march. Uh, there was a report that the United States is now practicing shifting command and control of our forces in the Middle East from Qatar to South Carolina. Why are we doing that? Well, our military leaders have said that our base at Qatar is a sitting duck for Iran. Their words, not mine. We know that Iran launched an attack against the Saudi oil refineries. Iran, two days ago, announced that they were stepping up their efforts <clears throat> to create fissile material. They're looking to get a bomb. Let's not play games with each other, folks. You either recognize the threat or that threat will do you in. We either deal with the threat or the threat will deal with us. We know from, and I've, and I've spoken about this on my program before, that Hezbollah, which is an Iranian terrorist organization, the United States recognizes Hezbollah as a terrorist organization, as do other countries. It's directed, funded by Iran is operating widely throughout Latin America, working with the human traffickers and the drug cartels to move people and narcotics into the United States, both as a funding mechanism and as a means of moving terrorists and sleeper agents into the United States. So please understand what we're talking about. That threat is continuing, and as um, Iran gets more desperate, I will tell you that they are more likely to strike out and possibly activate their sleeper agents in the United States. And some of them have been here for many years. By the way, the article about uh, uh, Qatar um, was published at Business Insider of Microsoft News back on October 1st. And the headline was U.S. military practicing moving its Middle Eastern command base to South Carolina because its Qatar base is a sitting duck for Iranian attacks, with sitting duck in quotes. So that's item number one. Um, and MarketWatch reported this on September 25th. This MarketWatch is a subsidiary of the Wall Street Journal. Senate votes to end border emergency. I didn't know that the Senate had that capability. Maybe we could get the Senate to, on limited basis, end gravity so we wouldn't need rockets to go to the moon or Mars. The Senate decided, the Republican-controlled, let me repeat, the Republican-controlled Senate voted to end border emergency because they don't want the money being spent on the border wall. But meanwhile, we're doing all these things out of concern that Iran may launch a military attack against our armed forces. Remember, it was Hezbollah that killed our troops in the barracks back under the Reagan administration. But the Republicans say there's no longer an emergency on the border, which brings me to another point. Yes, we don't see the caravans. Arrests are down by more than 50% by the Border Patrol. 
wow, what a relief. Instead of 110000 maybe we're down to, what, sixty or 50000 a month. I can breathe better. Folks, 19 hijackers, 19 hijackers on September 11, 2001, killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And today, or yesterday, the, the headline here in New York was that the New York City Police Department is adding the names of the police officers who died because of their exposures to the toxins at Ground Zero to the list of police officers who died in the line of action to honor them. And the list keeps growing. We're losing roughly one first responder every week. Over 20,000 people have signed up for medical care because they have been sickened and they're devastatingly ill and the numbers continue to climb. And it was predicted that 15 to 20 years after their exposure to the toxins, many people would be developing cancer and dying. Some of them were children who were going to Stuyvesant High School, by the way, just a couple of blocks away from ground zero. So the death count continues. So when you hear 3,000, forget about it. Before this is over, it'll be in the tens of thousands, all because of 19 hijackers. And while the Border Patrol and the other people are dealing with the 50,000 or 40,000 a month, Who's getting by that we don't know about? And it's not just the Mexican border. We're a country of 50 border states, and it's not about Mexicans, and it's not just about Latinos. As an immigration agent, I frequently arrested people from all over the world. I got an award from the government of Japan for helping them with a case involving a woman who was smuggling cocaine from the United States into Japan. I worked with the Israelis. I worked with the Brits and the Canadians. Human nature is human nature. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's as simple as that. We all bleed red, and there are good and bad people to be found everywhere. The trick is making the distinction that if you can't vet people, it's a problem. So when people sneak past the vetting process, they're doing it because they know they belong to one or more categories of exclusion. When I was on Fox and Friends First a couple of months ago, Julia, and I think they're terrific, by the way, I, I made a point, and she let out an audible gasp. Because what I said to her, I said, would you be willing to get on an airplane if you saw people sneaking past the TSA? And it was one of those gasps. You know, I said, oh, my God. I said, why are we being forced to live among millions of people who evaded a very similar vetting process conducted at ports of entry, you see? So the wall on the border doesn't block the ports of entry. It just funnels all the traffic into the ports of entry. Think of it, if you want an analogy, the velvet rope when you go to the bank. You know, you don't just form a mob scene and charge at the teller. What do you do? You go through these cattle runs, and they have these nice velvet ropes set up in the bank, and you make your way on the line until you see the next available teller. That's what the wall is designed to do to make certain that nobody gets into the country without being inspected. That's racist? That's unfair? Really? So you don't mind if people come into your house by climbing in through your back window instead of knocking on the door so you can decide whether you want to let them into your house in the first place? That's what we're talking about. But you're not hearing that from the media. You're not being told that aliens who are here illegally and cooperate with law enforcement can get visas to remain here permanently? You're not being told that when aliens are here illegally and they get away with it, it incentivizes more illegal aliens, it creates more business for the human traffickers, and we wind up with more dead bodies in the desert, including children. But we're not going to hear about that. We're not going to talk about the unaccompanied minors of the Obama administration and how it led to a massive surge in the number of MS-13 gang members. And we have a Dominican gang in the United States, Los Trinitarios, who bludgeoned a young boy to death of a Dominican ancestry, a Dominican background, who had dreamed of becoming a New York City police officer. His mother was so eloquent, it made me cry. She said to the judge at sentencing, you know, my son wanted to make the city safe. He wanted so much to be a police officer. She said, Your Honor, you must put these people away forever to help make the city safe the way my son wanted to. I believe her son was 15 years old. He was stabbed to death. Mistaken identity. Oops. He really wasn't part of the wrong gang. This is what we're dealing with, folks. And if you dare suggest that we need to do something different, you're a racist and a bigot. And now in New York, they will hit you with a quarter of a million dollar fine. How dare you? 
if you say to somebody, I'm going to go call immigration, that's it. They can go and file a lawsuit, and the city of New York will come after you. First Amendment? It's the undemocratic party. Not the Democrat party, but the undemocratic party. And you know what? Nobody has pointed out, and I just want to give you food for thought. There's 435 members of the House of Representatives. They're supposed to vote on impeachment. You have three saying, we don't need their vote. We don't need no stinking vote. But you know what's interesting that nobody has mentioned? Not only have they been attacking President Trump, but President, Vice President Pence. So if they can knock out Vice President Pence and President Trump, guess who becomes president? One of the three stooges, Nancy Pelosi herself. I've never seen anything like it. When I was a kid, I was raised to believe, you know, the idea of sportsmanship. It's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. Now, all that matters is whether you win or lose. It's okay to cheat. Just don't get caught cheating. Is that what we've become? I was heading into the city. I believe I was doing an interview with Fox News or somewhere. And this was after the first Democrat debate. And my driver was from India. He's been here 20 years. He said, did you see the debate? I said, yes. And a lot of these drivers are very bright, by the way. He said, what did you think? I said, I, I saw nothing there that I wanted to vote for. He said, you know, he said, the politicians of America look and sound like politicians from the third world. He said, it wasn't that way when I first came here. What happened to this country? Why did I come here? And he's not the first person to say to me, why did I come here? I'm not being partisan. I mean, what are the Republicans offering other than Trump? And again, I don't always agree with Trump. He makes me crazy. But who else is willing to stand up and say, let's end illegal immigration. Let's protect Americans. Let's make sure we guarantee the jobs and wages for American workers. If you look at where the economy is going, it's doing quite well. But it could do better. And wages need to go higher. And Americans need to have their American dream back. And I so resent when we hear the term dreamer to describe illegal alien kids. And by the way, for, this, for all the horror about the word alien, the term dreamer, the A in dreamer is aliens, as in alien minors. So you can use the words as long as they feed the narrative. This is straight out of George Orwell. If you read my article, uh, I, I think it will be an eye-opener. Check out the links, because I wrote another article about language wars, you know, the, the road to tyranny by the use of language. It's about thought control, not just language control. We think with words. If you limit the words, you limit the thoughts. It's dangerous. This insanity has played out in, in the past with totalitarian regimes. When there's a revolution, who do the rebels or what do the rebels always attack and seize? They seize control of the radio stations, the television stations, and the newspapers. The newspapers are going the way of the dodo bird, many of them. I, I've jokingly said that the slogan for the New York Times, which now reads, all the news that's fit to print, perhaps should be changed to you'll have a fit from what we print. But we've got to have honest, truthful facts. You know, when I used to interrogate the bad guys, I used to say, there's only one version of the truth, so why don't we start with that? And now you've got New York and, and Brooklyn suing the federal government to no longer make arrests in courthouses. Making an arrest is dangerous. When you're out on the street, you don't know if the person is armed. You don't know if the guy's going to run. Uh, people get hurt. People get killed during the process of making arrests. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do in law enforcement. When you walk into a courthouse, everyone goes through a magnetometer. It's like going into the airport. People walking into courthouses almost never have weapons on them because they know they're going through a metal detector. Before you get past the front door, you're going through a metal detector. What's wrong with immigration agents making an arrest in a courthouse? I did it all the time. The whole point is to vilify immigration agents. And meanwhile, the second largest contingent of agents who are assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration agents. Why? Because terrorists who are here from other countries always, always, always violate immigration laws. And it's funny because the New York Post said that ICE is, this is the headline, ICE sued for, quote, unlawful and unconstitutional civil arrests. They always throw in the word unconstitutional. I wonder if they even read it. Article 4, Section 4, 
check this out. Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says that the states are to be given a Republican form of government and protected from invasion and domestic violence. I would argue that when millions of people are able to flood across our borders one way or the other, whether it's the southern border, the northern border, our coastline, coming in with visas and then disappearing here, here and remain illegal constitutes an invasion. The enforcement of the immigration laws addresses Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. So where is it unconstitutional? They throw the words around. People hear it and they go, well, it must be unconstitutional because most people don't bother to read the damn documents. Folks, you've got to do this. You've got to do your homework. The other day there was this unbelievable story that um, fusion is such a difficult thing, commercial fusion for power generation, because it creates so much radiation. The idiot who reported on the story got it completely wrong. There's much less radiation associated with fusion over fission. The reactors that are now being used commercially are all fission reactors. Uh, the problem is containing the nuclear um, um, if you want to call it explosion, the, the compression of, of the atoms is so hot and you need so much energy to hold it in place that the break-even point is the issue, that we're putting in more power to the magnets to contain the, the nuclear reaction than we're getting from the nuclear reaction. That's why it's been so hard to create a fusion reactor that actually generates electricity. They're looking for the break-even point. This guy didn't talk about that. But he's there wasting everyone's time spewing utter nonsense. By the way, two of the most latest sleeper agents, just to quickly tell you, one was this guy, Alexei Saab, I think I spoke about him last week, who's been living here since 2000. He joined Hezbollah two or three years before he came to the United States. But the other one is a story that I reported on a while back uh, about an alien who came to the United States from Saudi Arabia Almost 10 years ago, his wife was on a student visa. He came here, applied to, to go to flight school, and when he was fingerprinted, now a requirement because of 9-11, the fingerprints came back, and it showed that he actually had made an application. Believe it or not, al-Qaeda had formal applications. They found an application with his fingerprints on it in Afghanistan. Apparently, he had received terror training with some of the 9-11 hijackers, and here he is in Oklahoma looking to get a pilot's license. He was just found guilty of immigration fraud. Again, let's disband immigration madness and lying to the FBI when he said that he had never been involved with al-Qaeda. Immigration is critical, folks, and language is critical, and we must demand that the politicians and the news media speak honestly or we must discard them. They're endangering national security and public safety, you know, Madoff stole people's fortunes. These globalists are trying to take the futures from our children and our grandchildren. You can't possibly be a good, loving parent if you're not involved. You've got to have the chutzpah, the guts, the moral fortitude to stand up to the bullies and deny their nonsense. This isn't about being a racist. It's about being sensible. It's about making a clear distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens. Think how you are discrediting lawful immigrants when you refuse to make that distinction. We always welcomed immigrants into America. Always did. That's been our tradition. Yes, there have been instances in history, and the other side will pull these up, where people were treated improperly, and that's just tragic and stupid. But by doing this, this doesn't help the process of assimilating true immigrants into our country and welcoming them into our hearts. Uh, the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien, to put it succinctly, is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. I thank you so much for, for joining me this evening, folks. I hope you find these programs helpful. Please check out my website, michaelcutler.net. I'm also working with Dennis Michael Lynch at dmlnews.com. I hope you'll consider joining and becoming part of Team DML. Uh, I just did a documentary with him, and I also do podcasts at DML News. But, again, uh, please get involved. Have those conversations with your neighbors. You know, uh, Ellen DeGeneres was right when she said that she's friends with President Bush, and when people criticized her, 
she stood her ground and said, we need to be kind to everyone, not just the people we agree with. Remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get involved, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend.